Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the television show Psych, which is a show that I am not that familiar with. I've seen a few episodes, but I'm not up on it. But it won't matter because the panel I have, I could basically just say go and not have to say anything for the whole time, (laughs) really, honestly. And you will understand once I introduce everybody. But before I do that, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes and an announcement. We are doing a YouTube live stream trivia night event on May 15th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It'll be going for a little while. We're going to have other great podcasts jump in. We've already had a couple already say they are absolutely beyond excited to join. And our other panelists know those podcasts (laughs) already. And then, of course, we're going to have, I mean... We're going to have bed, wed, behead. We're going to have the boobs on too. So at some point, whether they want to or not, uh, which I know they want to. So that'll be a lot of fun. We're going to be giving away prizes and just trivia galore. So check out our Instagram, Facebook page, Twitter page for more info on that. And of course, we are taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to $4.99 a month. I mean, not to $9.99 a month, excuse me. So go over and click on our link in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click listener support there. Okay, so I'm going to go around and have our panelists introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into right now in pop culture. Start with you, Carla. Hi, I'm Carla, and I am currently just very into rewatching all of my favorite psych episodes and finally getting around to watching the second psych movie, which I hadn't seen Um, because I, well, I didn't really have access to it. And then I realized that it's free on Peacock, which I never really turned to for anything. So, but I'm very excited for next week when I start, well, I restart my dive into Queer as Folk because I, I have been missing it in my life. And now that I actually have like the time I can go back into that into season two and maybe eventually not hating Brian. No promises. Yeah. It breaks my heart a little every time. Like I'm very excited about you watching it, but then I'm like, maybe but one a day. Terrified. Let's be <laughs> <Yeah>. real. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I know one thing that's going to happen in season two where you are going to absolutely despise him. But... <laughs> <laughs> I love how people are like, Oh, you should watch this show that I absolutely love. And that means so much to me. And then, like, I I start watching, and I'm like, oh, I kind of wish I hadn't recommended that to you. Yeah, Meg's nodding because she she had this experience recently with Gilmore Girls. I've had this experience a few times with you, where I had to be like, you have to understand. Yeah, and Marty, who's joining us again, what are you into? Yeah, so the big thing right now, uh, watching Adventure Time with our youngest, which is a pretty fun cartoon show. And that kind of triggered my nostalgia bug. So (laughs) Hulu has the 1985 version of Thundercats. 
And I have been painfully rewatching all of that and the terrible voice acting. So, yeah, it's been fun and horrible and fun. <laughs> I loved that terrible voice acting. <laughs> there is no, I have to tell you, there is nothing more horrifying than going to sleep and then being somehow sort of drug out of sleep by Thundercats. Thunder, thunder, Thundercats. Oh. Like, uh, I go to sleep much earlier than Marty. Uh, but when sometimes when he comes upstairs, he'll either and he kills me. He watches TV on his phone, like we have a TV, like in our bedroom. But like I'll be almost out of sleep because of Thundercats. Hey, when I watch on my phone, it's to keep the brightness <laughs> and the volume down, so I don't wake you up. And I listen with my Bluetooth earbuds. It's so, done well. wonder for our marriage. It saved your nose. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> And just like in our marriage, I'm going <laughs> to shut up. <laughs> and Tiff, what are you into? Hi, I'm Tiff. Thanks for having me back. And I'm finishing up a book called The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And excellent. Can't put it down. Um, I'm about seven eighths <laughs> finished. <laughs> so I think I will probably read it as soon as I finish it, because it's been that good. So book recommendation for the audience, The Vanishing Half, Rick Bennett. And I think that marks maybe the second or third book recommendation we have ever had. <laughs> I feel special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are the other two also from Tiff? No, uh-uh, no. I think, didn't you recommend one, 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 excuse me, Meg? Um, and then I, I know have. Tanya did. Yeah. But yeah. if you're wondering what I'm into this week. Did I skip you? <laughs> <laughs> I also felt special because of that. Because you know I always go on. Tiff is like, finally, I'm not. That's why she's pointing to herself. It's okay. It's okay. I talk a lot. I understand. I think that's why, because you were already speaking. And I was like, okay. How you would think I had said something, even though I talk a lot. No. So, yeah, I'm Meg. (laughs) And that's what you get for picking on me. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, and actually, so I'm going to say that I'm really into the new Netflix series, Shadow and Bone. It's based on the book series. Uh, well, it's based on two book series. It's based on the Six of Crows and Crown of Thorns books, as well as like the Grisha verse books by Lee Bardugo. Um, and it's not really anything like the books. Except for, like, it has the same character names, but it has the same kind of spirit. And I think the big changes that they have made from the books are good ones. They've made the books, uh, the characters, much more diverse. Um, the The books are much more of kind of a white-centric, white-straight-centric dystopia book, which is really popular, which is was popular when the books were written. And making the series, they made a more diverse cast, Um both with LGBTQIA people and people of color, which is good. And it's just fun. It's eight episodes. It's a good time. I watched it after my COVID, my second COVID shot. And then I started watching The Witcher. So that's kind of what I'm. Awesome. And this is Aaron. And 
I have had no time to watch anything else. Like I said, on like I'll say on one of our other upcoming episodes, I was just into trailers <laughs> for movies. <laughs> so what I'm into right now is in preparation for one of the episodes we're recording next week, I'm re-watching the To All the Boys series of movies and falling in love with them again. And I just think they are such sweet and heartfelt romantic comedies that work really well. So I'm really into that. And I'm still really into Bates Motel. So, okay, so let's start talking about Psych. And basically, I'm going to turn it over to my panel. <laughs> and because I'll have, I'll just be here to moderate. But I wanted to start favorite episodes, Carla. Well, let me pull out my list that I had to narrow it down because this show is hilarious. There are not a ton of episodes that I'm like, eh, I'm not crazy about that. So, my the first one on my list is American Duos, which is a season two. It's the first episode actually of season two, and it's hilarious because it, it sends up American Idol and it has Tim Curry in it. Which you know, how can you not love that? It's fantastic and funny. And Sean and Gus go undercover as participants, as like singers supposedly, and they are awful, as one would expect. And it's just like the best time had by the audience. It's a great episode. Um, the next one that I'll mention is Lights, Camera, Homicidio from season two, episode th episode 13, which is um, basically a telenovela that they end up they end up going on the set of it because there are people kind of like dropping like flies. And in, by some strange twist, Sean ends up being on the cast of the telenovela and it is hilarious watching him, watching him be on this novela and, and, you know, with his awful Spanish and his very fluffy hair and kind of like a UPS type uniform. I just, I, I love that so much. There, there's so much great, awful fake acting that goes on in it. That is absolutely perfect for the for the storyline. Um, Yang three and two D. Now the the Yin and Yang uh, episodes. There, you know, this show is pretty just funny, and there's a lot of slapstick and and all of that. But the, these three episodes um, are more serious. They're like you know the um, Sean's mom is kidnapped at one point and then both Juliet and Sean's girlfriend at the time end up being kidnapped at the same time then he has to decide which one to save and this is big scary thing and it's really well done and it culminates in, in this episode in, in, in the season 5 episode 16 Santa Barbara Town is the end of season 6 the beginning of season 7 and that's the you know big time because um, Henry gets shot that's Sean's dad so they're, you know, they, they're, they're discovering that, that his, Sean's dad's um, former co-workers are all really corrupt and it's really scary. And, you know, of course, Henry getting shot is very dramatic and, you know, they have all of this tension between father and son. Um, probably the funniest one on this list is A Nightmare on State Street from season eight, episode nine, because Gus has re these recurring nightmares and they're hilarious because it, it's, it, it's uh, most of them are based 
off of the classic um, slasher movies. And Gus is a total weenie anyway. But th- this uh, episode really highlights how much of a weenie he is and why it's so hilarious. And how he's just completely adorable. And, and, and it has Bruce Campbell in it. So it's a must watch. Aaron, I just see your face. Yes, you have to go and watch this episode. If you watch nothing else, watch this episode if you're a Bruce Campbell fan and if you're a Slashers fan. It's, oh, it has everything you could hope for. And then finally, the the series finale, which is the breakup, just because it's really sweet. And I really think that, that it gives a, a really beautiful closure to the show and to the characters. And I know that we get two movies after that, but I really think that even if we hadn't gotten those two movies, this episode really seals everything up in the most unbelievable and beautiful and sweet way. It's really, um, it really pays tribute to the friendship between Gus and Sean, which, you know, there are so many important big things and themes in this show. But I think that the biggest one of all is that friendship because yes, Sean falls in love with, with Juliet and, you know, he has a relationship with his father that he has to deal with and sort out. And there are all of these relationships with, um, with the detectives, with Lassiter and with um, Chief Vic and so many other people. But at the heart of it all, it's Sean and Gus. The show wouldn't be half as good as it is without that chemistry that they have between them and between and, and that love that really comes through and, and how synced up they are. It's, and that's why I love this episode. You know, it's it's sad because the series is ending, but it's still just so beautiful and representative of the two of them as friends. So not only is there a Bruce Campbell episode, but there's also Tim Curry is in this too. So mm-hmm. yeah, okay, well, <laughs> so you need to go back and get on this on this boat because I'm speaking crazy. to a very special part of myself. <laughs> I honestly am shocked that you haven't seen the show because there's so much Aaron Candy throughout all. Yes. Of it. And yes, absolutely. After Marty's turn, I'll talk about another piece of air and candy. So, <laughs> <laughs> and Marty. Well, I mean, everything that Carla listed is fantastic. I I really like. Uh, I think my favorite part about the show is the fact that it will take an entire episode and make one joke about one thing. So one of my favorites is black and tan, a crime of fashion. And it's basically a whole giant spoof of Zoolander and it's beautiful and hilarious and stupid. It, it just, there's so much that's like that. The other one I like, uh, I don't know the, the episode title, but it's uh, where they're with Steven Weber and they are treasure hunting. It's uh, Sean's uncle, I believe. And they're like off treasure hunting and it has very kind of like a grown up Goonies vibe, but it works really well because Sean is such a child and that's probably why I resonate with him. But those are a couple of my favorites. I think Carla makes a really good point. The, the yin yang episodes, that trilogy is really, really good because there's all this like way over the top, super goofy lightheartedness. And then it's like, Oh, we're we're having like a serious conversation and like characters we care about are suddenly at risk. 
you know, all these other situations where we see whether it's Lassiter or Juliet, like in danger because they're, you know, their, their jobs, they're in the line of fire and it, it never feels like anything is like truly at risk. But with those Yang episodes, you actually feel like, hey, wait, no, this is this person. I like this person and and I'm at risk of losing them. So those are a couple. Uh, the Despero, the Pierre Despero episodes are fantastic. Carrie Elwes does such a beautiful job as as a guest spot. Yeah, I better leave episodes for everybody else or, you know, any any one of those, whether it's the Yang episodes, the Pierre Despero episodes, I think, but the first one is probably my favorite Pierre Despero episode. But uh, yeah, Black and Tan, The Crime of Fashion was another really, really good one just because uh, Zoolander did a really good job of making fun of itself. And then Sean and Gus just took it to the next level. There's also Psych was the first show to make a remake of one of its own episodes. So there was a remake of an episode that they had done in season two or three that was redone in like season six or something like that um, involving a, a weatherman in Santa Barbara. And so they remade the episode that they had previously made, which was kind of unique. But yeah, lots of good episodes to pick from. Yeah, I'm sure this is, really does sound like this is my kind of show. <laughs> and Meg. Yeah. So I, if I accidentally repeat something that Marty said, I'm so sorry. Um we had a little bit of a conundrum with our dogs that I had to go corral. Um, so favorite episodes of mine. I have a lot. I'm not great at episode titles, but I tried to write some down. Um, all the yin yang episodes, I think, are really, really good. I And I feel like a lot of my episode favorites are going to be a little different because I really, really watch shows and shows for relationships. Not just romantic relationships, but just relationships in general. So um, office space, although he's one of my favorites, and Gus, where Gus accidentally tampers with his boss's crime scene, <laughs> and just like the snowball effect of trying to um, make it to fix everything and just continually making everything worse. Like Gus stands up for a coworker and and tells his boss off, who's a total jerk, and then later that, and he writes him a a, a mean note quitting and. He goes back later that night and he sees his boss is dead and his boss is holding the note in his hand and Gus tries to get the note note out and just spills everywhere and just makes a huge mess. And this is all being told in retrospective. Somebody goes to Sean and Sean tries to, it's like, well, you didn't touch anything else, right? It's like he knocked over every water bottle plant. Like that Sean goes to help him and gets a bloody nose and sneezes. Like, it's just, it's like, it's hilarious in a bit more of a slapsticky kind of way, but it's still a hoot because, like, when they show up at Sean's dad at Henry's house, they're like, Dad, we made a mistake. It just was very reminiscent of any time I've messed up and gone to my parents and been like, please help us. Um, so that's one of my favorite ones. D's, D's Nups. Um, is one of my favorites because it's really, really heartbreaking. Um, it's when Juliet finds out the truth about Sean and kind of that pain because she found out the truth and he didn't tell her. And I'm all about the angst. <laughs> so I really like that one. 
Um, I said the yin yangs. Dual spires is fun when they play off of Twin Peaks because they do a lot of really fun themed kind of or special episodes where they change the opening credits and stuff like that. And that was one of them. Uh, the one that made me think of you actually, Aaron, was episode called Tuesday the 17th. <laughs> where it starts out where Gus and Sean as kids go to a camp and it gets closed down because someone dies there and then they go back and someone's getting, people are getting murdered at the camp like the counselors are getting murdered at the camp so it's like and Friday 13th it's, it's, it's exactly like that and I actually I, I re-watched it right after we recorded our horror hunks episode <laughs> which might be why I love it so much, so much. Um, but yeah, those are a few of my favorites. There's a lot. Like, there's just I have a hard time coming up with bad episodes of the of the show. They're all really well done. They do a really good job of balancing the comedy and kind of the more serious aspects of the show. So yeah, but that's what I got. Cool. Well, once again, I guess I should be watching this show. I'm going to have to add it to my long list of stuff. You know, I still haven't watched any of the Doctor Who episodes. That Hey, I know watching. that you know that I'm not telling the truth. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm, so, the, I'm so sorry. You just don't have any proof. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just funny. in general for me. And Tiff, what are some of your episodes? If you didn't catch that, because I wish everybody could see Erin's face because she's like, what the heck are these two doing? <laughs> that is the theme song to Psych, Aaron. <laughs> oh, okay. I had a, I knew it was had something to do with Psych, but I didn't know what it was. I was just like, okay. <laughs> yes, it, the title is "I Know You Know," and um, it's it's a fun. It's a really fun. I remember we talked about theme songs um, before. And how on our living single episode and how we missed them so much. Psych leaned into it so well because they were it's like, we're so gonna catchy. This it's so catchy. And they remember they also did different versions of it. So one yeah. time it was like hard rock, and then another time Boys to Men did it. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's when we there was the the bl- all black a cappella, except Sean joined in later and he yeah. like, tried to make yes. it quarter black. <laughs> Quarter black, quarter black, quarter, yeah. three quarter blacks. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. The dual, the dual spires had a really Twin Peaks themed. Yes. Thing. Yeah. It well, was when the very, lights camera um, on the CDO, I think that one had a Spanish theme. It did. The telenovela. Yeah. 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 It did. It's, it's such a, it's fun. It's kitschy. Um, it's catchy, like Meg said, and it just, it pokes fun at itself. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Although there are seriously themed episodes with psych, it's always going to give you a a lot of humor involved in it. Um, and I know everybody has said the, the yin yang episodes, but I have to, I have to reiterate it. They are some of the best writing that I've ever seen for a comedy show ever. Ever. I think you would really, if you're going to just kind of cherry pick episodes, Aaron, I would say go yin yang because it's, it's just awesome. Um, another one of my favorites is the, <laughs> the amazing psych man and tap dance man issue two, which is ridiculous <laughs> because they pick basically 
they pick their own superheroes. They pick themselves as superheroes and psych. And Sean is the amazing psych man. And Gus decides to be tap man because he's a tap dancer. And it's the most, you know, Sean mentions, Sean is like, what are you going to do? Tap dance somebody to death? It's just the most ridiculous thing ever. Because what does tap dancing do as a superhero (laughs) power? He throws sand. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <You know what's laughs> <in>. <laughs> huh. um, and and I, I'm just gonna pop in for I think what's so awesome about the series episodes is because Sean is so ridiculous in all of the episodes that when he is in like super serious mode, it really weighs everything down in the best. It's a good contrast. Yeah. It really is. It really is. It's a great balance of comedy. They're going to give you like 75%, I think even more, probably 85% comedy and then 15% a dash of heavy drama, which is so, so, it, it's it's a beautiful dichotomy between the two. It really is. Um, I definitely agree with Carla that the series finale was fantastic. It's one of the best series finales that you're going to watch. And so many shows get it wrong. Um, <clears throat> Game of Thrones. <clears throat> Sorry, um, I had a little something in my I had a little something in my throat. I just had to clear my throat a little bit. Um, you know, uh, it's so I I love this show. I love it. It's it's one of my favorite shows ever. It was um, USA Network, which is what it it aired on originally, and I I watched it in real time, and it was. Um, their strongest performing show for the entire eight year run. It consistently um, won that basic cable time frame block the entire time. And what show that's been on for eight seasons can say that. That just is a, a testament to to how well it was written and how, oh my goodness, the the um chemistry between Sean and Gus and then Juliet and Lassie chief Vic uh and then the the rotating cast of of guest stars just amazing they got some great people to to guest star on that show they really did I'm gonna stop talking now because I've talked way too much I have to say oh that was awesome uh, the Timothy Amundsen thirst is very very real (laughs) yeah here's Lassiter here's Lassie that's another fantastic episode where they spoof the shining and yeah. it is like it's good like for a minute there you're like oh damn like we're we're going all the way down that rabbit hole but yeah mm-hmm. so many like amazing guest stars uh woody like i forget the actor's name but he's just a, a delight um it's matt so, so much of the breasts so, so much of the breakfast club is in there oh, as yeah. as guest stars <laughs> uh rachel lee cook uh ringwald um uh what's his face the blonde guy the really oh, grumpy Anthony michael hall thank you yeah Anthony C. Hall? i don't know michael hall it's michael hall. <laughs> okay thank you i'm like wait <laughs> yeah they did they whoever their casting director was did such an amazing job at, at picking like just the perfect people to bring in and what i loved is that they would make fun of themselves like they had uh an episode where they were it was i think it was Cy versus Cy, where like there was another psychic brought in, and they were making 
references of the show that the previous episode cameo person was from. And yeah. I, I just love that self-referential humor, how they're like, yeah, we're not even going to let this one get cold before we make fun of it. It was <laughs> right. last week. Boom. There's the joke. <laughs> they had one guest star I didn't like, but no, Kurt Fuller played Woolly, uh, Woody, Woolly. And he is Zachariah in Supernatural. And I like to joke mm-hmm. with Carla when I was watching this that I like to, my head canon is that Woody <laughs> and Zachariah are the same character. <laughs> and Kane is like just... Because Timothy Amundsen played Kane as well as Lester, and Kane is just trapped in this hellscape of an alternate universe that Zachariah is messing with him in. Because I'm a huge cool person. But I think I also just want to point out that there are so many great recurring gags, and this is one of those those few shows that has really good continuity and that come on, son. Yes. You have that you have the pineapple in every episode. Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic. You have the don't go boneless on me because <laughs> you know, Sean, the first time that that, that um happened, um Gus was trying to get Sean out of his office building because Sean is, is just you know making things more difficult for him at work. And so he goes and says, I'm gonna do this physically. So he grabs Sean. And they're struggling because he's trying to get him out the door and, and Sean just goes boneless. So Gus is having like, the hardest time getting him out. He ends up dragging him by the hand <laughs> along the floor. Such and a so, great like, every overhead shot. Then, yes, it's perfect. Like if you just go and look on YouTube for for boneless psych, it's oh it's just the amount of times that they brought that back was fantastic. Well, and I think what they did such a great job with the show, too, is they did such a good job balancing really fun stories and really well done relationships between the characters. Like, Sean and Gus have this, and Carla, you touched on a bit, like, their relationship is just such a beautiful example of male friendship that we don't really get to see because they are sick of each other they drive each other crazy but they have such they have such deep love and respect for each other at the same time and i love that they made god like gus seems like he was supposed to be the quote-unquote straight man to sean's ridiculousness but gus is such a huge dork in his own right and with his own stuff and i love that they really kind of dove into that and how he goes along with Sean's shenanigans, even though he will kick and scream the entire way. I just love that. And I think we get to see like Sean and his dad's relationship and even Sean and Lassie and Juliet and Lassie's relationship. have They really ground the show because the show is ridiculous. The stories. The fact that this goes on for eight years <laughs> is utterly <Yeah>. ridiculous, <laughs> um, but really grounds it as a relationships. And I, I, that's honestly what I love the most about, about this show. And can we give props to the best vehicle, probably besides baby on Supernatural? Yes. The, the wonderful blueberry. <laughs> yes. Well, because well, that was a- Toyota Yaris was it? It was a Yaris, and (laughs) this just speaks to the more ridiculous nature of the show because Gus is a he's he's a pretty successful company car, Tiff. It's a company car. (laughs) 
it's a company car and they gave him a Yaris. A, a Yaris hatchback. Not even the sedan. They gave him the hatchback. Right. <laughs> He's like a pharmaceutical rep, and they gave him a Yaris. Like, you know, it tells you everything that, that you need to know about what the company Juliet, thought of him. Juliet had to use it as a chase car. Oh the Yaris only hits about 85, so it's not chasing too many people. Oh my God, I love this show so much. See, this is why I knew I would not be needed. It would be fine that I could watch it. It's just like unmute everybody and let them go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to let you free on the characters, Carla. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. All right. So it's there. There's no favorite. Well, I'm, I'm lying. There there are favorite characters, but you can't really mention any of them without mentioning everybody else. So you have Sean Spencer, the, you know, supposedly the protagonist, but he's really half a protagonist because the real protagonist is the relationship between Sean and Gus. That is the what um, the show lies on. If you didn't have that relationship, that show would have not lasted very long because you needed that, that balance that they bring to each other. Not because one is more serious than the other. Like they're both pretty ridiculous people, but because their love and their friendship and their camaraderie just makes everything so much better than it should be. And the premise itself is ridiculous. I mean, like this guy pretends to be a psychic and he ends up getting hired by the Santa Barbara police department and solves all of these cases because just because he's, you know, been trained by his father throughout his whole life to be very observant. Um, but the way that James Rude Rodriguez went about portraying Sean in, in the first few episodes, especially was just so over the top that it could be really grating. And I think that if you didn't have Gus there to soak up some of that, like, extra juiciness, I guess, you'd have completely lost um, any desire to keep watching it. Um, it really is Dulé Hill who makes Sean so much bearable uh, as Gus, which is funny because his name is actually Burton Guster. His name isn't even Gus. It's just what they call him. Um, much to his uncle's dismay yes because he's named after his uncle Burton and he's not having that um, but they together well I'll talk about Gus a little bit Gus is this very prissy kind of guy like he's always dressed in like the the impeccable um, white sneakers and the the very flatly ironed slacks and the, the, you know, the, the dress shirt, like a very um, corporate approved kind of uniform because it's a pharma sales guy. And that's what he, he does. And he continues to work in pharma sales throughout most of the show, which is like amazing that he managed to hold a job considering how little of that job he actually did. Um, but he gets drawn into, into Sean's fake psychic business because well first of all he's Sean's best friend and basically they don't do anything without each other um and it's really cute and kind of like you know weirdly codependent but in a less harmful way than other codependent relationships can be on television they're just you know perfect for each other because 
they will ground each other when the other one needs grounding and they will out ridiculous each other when the scene calls for it, which is, you know, at least thrice every episode. And it's just fantastic to watch them work together. So when Sean starts working with the police department, he starts working um, under Chief Karen Vick, who is just awesome. I love Chief Vick so much. She is uh, no nonsense, but she still believes in a psychic enough to constantly hire him against the wishes of Carlton Lasseter, who's played by Timothy Omenson, who is the love of of my life. Yeah, exactly. Meg's fanning herself and I'm fanning myself too because whew, the Timothy Omenson thirst is real. He is, and, and this guy, like total stick up the wazoo. No, uh, no imagination. He's He's a very good detective, but he doesn't think outside the box so you know like where the places that where he doesn't see that sean does would have actually made them really great partners if you think about it but i'm kind of glad i'm really glad that they kept the dynamic the way that it is but his relationship with with sean is always contentious but even early on Lassiter admits that he has uh, an admiration for Sean. And of course, he only does this because he's like super drunk and doesn't remember the next day what he said, but he admires Sean. He knows, he's like, I know that you're not psychic, but I don't know how you do it, but you're the best detective I've ever seen. And then you, they bring in Juliet, who is just adorable, fluffy bunny kind of person, but also a butt kicking detective in her own right. And he and Sean, she and Sean fall deeply in love and they have all those these romantics up, romantic up and downs. And like Meg said, Sean doesn't tell her that he's a fake psychic. Um, so he's basically lying to her for most of the show. And then when she does find out, she wants to end things and they, they're broken up for a while. Then they get back together. But it's, it's always really tough after that until the very end where... Sean decides to move to San Francisco to be with her after she moves up there to go with Chief Vic. It's like this whole like basically exodus out of Santa Barbara into San Francisco for the, for all of these people. You also have um, Henry Spencer, Sean's dad, and the relationship there. Like, okay, yeah, there's a lot to, to love about Henry, but I absolutely loathe the way that he treated Sean growing up. And that he really made a lot of things more difficult than they needed to be for his child. I mean, he he did end up showing him how to cultivate his gift for observation and for for critical thinking and for bending logic to kind of see beyond what's presented. And that's great. But he was really just he, he beat down Sean's ego in so many ways over and over and over again. And, and you know, it's kind of a miracle that that Sean even speaks to him at all. To be perfectly honest, um, I, I know Meg has, has a very different opinion of of Henry, but I just think of it from the point of view of you know, I just can't imagine treating my child this way and my child being cool with us hanging out when when you know when he doesn't have to. They do come a long way throughout the show. They really do. Um, Henry does soften up a, a lot, but. Yeah, like I, I still get pretty defensive about baby Sean. Um, 
there's also Buzz, who I'll we'll just throw in there because he's he's adorable and you know he's just very tall and adorable. That, that's basically all that there is to him because he's not that bright. He's just tall and pretty. <laughs> he's a great stripper, though. Remember, he works in a security uniform in Atlantic City to make extra money. Yes. So he has admirable work ethic. There I is say, that. I, Carla, I took notes. Of course you are, because you're just going to like bash everything that I said. <laughs> As per usual. Yeah, yeah. We know how this And goes. then you'll agree with me. Uh, no. But then the relationship between Lassiter and and Juliet is just so beautiful to see evolve because she helps him become more human because he's going through a horrible divorce at the, at the beginning. So Juliet helps Lassiter find his humanity again after he's pretty much lost it in the divorce. Haha, <laughs> she took that with him. Um, and he also helps her become a better detective and more assertive. He's also very comforting to her a lot of the time. And he's so protective of her. And I don't think it's even in a paternalistic kind of way. I, I think it's just he he just gets worried about people that he that he loves. And it's just like a very sweet kind of relationship that they have. Um, unlike his relationship with with Sean, of course of course. Um, although frankly, if I had to work with Sean Spencer, I probably want to slap him silly too. And yeah, that, that's as far as I'll go because I'm just waiting for Meng to just drag everything down and rip apart all of my beautifully worded sentiments. Well, first we'll have Marty go. So kind of give a little buffer here. So I was going to say, yeah, I I get my crack first. Hey, alphabetical Aaron order. me. So <laughs> you? I, think, I think Carla made like a really good point about how Lassiter is almost... 100% shaped by the different women in his life. He's got, you know, all of the trauma from his previous marriage. He has the budding romance that gets killed by Sean in the pilot. And he gets to kind of build this relationship. And there's kind of like this back and forth trust struggle between him and Juliet because he always kind of thinks something like Juliet knows more than she's letting on about Sean and like the admiration that he has for chief Vic, but still he wants to climb that ladder and stuff like that. So, and Marlo, you know, the Marlo really helps kind of shape the, uh, that human side, just like Juliet does uh, just kind of from that more romantic perspective uh lassiter is a is an interesting character from you know being such a like a a macho figure having all of his kind of influence be driven by the different women in his life so i I think that's pretty cool i gotta i'm gonna disagree with carla before meg gets to i think baby sean and henry is a a difficult like an intentionally difficult and i know that's not what you're arguing here carla but i think the intentional difficulty that henry places upon his kid really does a good job for preparing him for more than just his gift but for you know just kind of the rigors and unfairness of life in general i probably resonate a lot with that because i had a lot of similar things 
that happened to me uh, in my life between me and my dad. And who boy, did we butt heads until I was 15, 16, somewhere in there. And then I kind of realized what he was doing, that he was trying to prepare me for all this other stuff. But yeah, rather than like renting the appropriate equipment to dig a hole in the yard. Nope. Here's your shovel. It needs to be done by two because the tree is going to be here and it's got to go in the ground. And so I, I really kind of resonated with that. I, I see a lot of similarities between my relationship with my dad and Sean and Henry. And I've, I've actually tried to kind of carry some of that forward with my kids where it's like, they'll come to me and they'll be asking questions or they'll be complaining about something. And I'll say, I don't want problems. I want solutions. Yes, this is an issue. We are now to the point where it has been identified. Let's move on to solving it rather than complaining about it and, you know, help building those skills on their own, which has kind of bit me in the rear end because now we have a 12 year old who thinks she's a mom to an eight year old and we get to break up those fights nonstop. So, and who also thinks she's like equal to us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Hey, confident daughters also holy christ (laughs) confident (laughs) children uh but that to me i really enjoyed that part of henry and sean's relationship because i went through a lot of those things like oh you want to do this you want to have i mean i never had to build a doghouse for my dogs but you know you want to do this thing all right well here is how you can you know expense it in with the family you need to do this this and this above and beyond tasks and then we'll actually let you you know do that thing i think juliet and sean is a a really interesting relationship especially when you compare it against sean and abigail lytar who is rachel lee cook who is his first romantic like prolonged romantic uh, interest in the show and how Sean just kind of struggles with the fact that he he really likes this person and he's falling for them, but he can see these impasses that it's going to cause and he's not willing to make the sacrifice for that person. And, you know, he kind of starts the relationship with Juliet the same way and he gets to the point where he's like, I think I am willing to make these sacrifices. I don't have to be the childish over the top person all the time. Like 85%. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll reel it back to 85 from like 98. And that, that type of growth that you see between them, I think is really, really neat. And I think really kind of overall in the show, Carla hit on it earlier this show does not go eight seasons without the relationships between the people. It's, it's the relationships between the people that really, really sell it. There's some shows that do great with just that, like one person point of view. It's that person's relationship with the adventure or the story. But this show leans so much on how these people interconnect, how Henry loves Gus just like one of his own kids and how there's, you know, absolutely nothing that's going to get in between, uh, you know, there's nothing that's going, he's going to let get between his two sons. Basically there's plenty of episodes where they start out fighting and, you know, he kind of grabs them both by the scruff of the neck and is like, what are we doing? 
yes, Sean, you cheated. And, you know, on and on and on. And there's, there's just so much of that that is fostered throughout the show. It's not just like, oh, hey, this is going to be that one touchy-feely Sean and Henry episode. It's, you know, 30 to 45 seconds of touchy-feely, like, per episode. And it just kind of builds and layers till the end. You're like, there's nothing that Sean wouldn't do for his dad, even though at the beginning... John didn't want any piece of his dad and vice versa that, you know, he's like, I realized that my kid is kind of this major, not F up, but he's a handful and he hasn't taken the traditional path, but he absolutely brings value and has skill and is a good person, you know, at that core level. And he kind of gives gives Sean the room to breathe, to find out how to maximize that personality quality in himself. And uh, there's a whole conversation. There's probably a whole episode just about the nicknames of (laughs) Gus and Sean. Uh, There's just so many of them. I, that I'm actually drawing a blank, but how Gus just like automatically rolls with it. And he's got like this, you know, (laughs) pre-planned like little move to go with it or catchphrase to go with it like every single time it's like these these two people have been on the same brain wave for decades and it's just a really cool way that they bring that forward they're actually YouTube compilations just of their of the nicknames was it the jaywire i think my favorite was probably uh, this is my colleague, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> I, I, I had that name too, but I changed it. <laughs> uh, or when they're when they're the doctor, when they're like the two vet techs, and and he oh, is yes. right, <laughs> and and Gus is just like ah, mm-hmm. Gus is the most supportive best friend. Oh my lord, he planet. is. I think mm-hmm. that of all the relationships that I talked about, I did not talk about Sean and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> I just I talked about every, everything. You glossed else. over it a little bit. Yeah. You're like, yeah, Sean and Juliet, like, they broke up. Right. They like, got back they together. Did it and then they broke up. And then <laughs> they started talking about somebody else. Right, exactly. Um, but just just to throw that back in there. Um, Juliet and Sean are just so lovely together. They're adorable. I love that that he calls her sweetheart. It's just so like unexpectedly sweet and old fashioned of him that it just blows you away when you think, you know, he what nickname could he possibly give her considering all the nicknames he gives the other love of his life, Gus. And now he just goes with sweetheart and you're like, oh. But uh, but yeah, they they're they compliment each other so well and she doesn't go along with him the, quite the way that Gus does, but she trusts him. She really believes in his, um, in his abilities. And even, you know, even when we get beyond the psychic abilities, she, she believes in his um, ability as a person who can take a look at, you know, at all of these things presented to him and really make something out of it. And she's just very impressed with him. And it's not even like just a you know hero worship kind of thing. She genuinely sees him for who he is beyond all of the 
you know, the, the twitchiness and, um, and everything that he tries to put forth as a personality. Yeah. And Meg, take it away. I know you also have some stuff to say to Carla. I, to Carla. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not just to Carla. So one of the things that I, uh, that I think is important, just kind of going off what Carla says with Juliet and Sean, um, the trust. And I think that's, so paramount to Juliet because of who her father was. Her father was a con man who left her and she trust is so key and important in Juliet for any of her relationships. When once that's betrayed, it's really, really hard to earn it back. And I have talked on here and on plenty of other places many times about how much I hate kind of the breakups, makeups, breakups, makeups, um, and will they, won't they kind of situations in in TV shows between characters. But re-watching this, she had to break up with Once she found out, she like there was nothing else to do. She had to break up with him because he was basically her father. And she tr- and Carla was talking about how she trusted him so completely and so deeply. And to find out like this massive, massive lie, which beyond the pilot episode, where he was just trying to get himself out of trouble, it's really hard to understand why he can't just be a regular private detective. (laughs) Why do you have to have the psychic park in there? He, so, and this is basically, this is basically Sean and Gus are a modern day Sherlock and Watson kind of in their own respectives. Um, Just better dancers. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Have you seen Sherlock Hustle? <laughs> so, and then we'll talk about Sean. I'm going to talk about Sean and Gus a little bit. I, so what I, I love how supportive Gus is of Sean because the fact that Sean has all of these people around him who love him and will put up with him is astounding to me because Sean is a giant child in a lot of ways, which is why when he is serious, it's that much more impactful. But there are a couple episodes where Sean's in a rut and he's just, his perceptions off and his ability to deduce things are off. And, and I think it might be a yin yang thing because his mom is kidnapped and he just can't figure stuff out. So Gus is like super duper extra and being really, really weird and obnoxious to everybody else just to kind of help Sean get back into the mode and get into a more of an objective sort of thing. And I think I love the fact that Sean knows, or Gus knows what Sean is doing is ridiculous and unsustainable, but Sean, but Gus is going to be there. He's going to be there. He is a ride or die friend. And I love that relationship so, so much. Um, As far as Lassiter and Sean, I think that might be the relationship that grew and developed the most throughout the entire series. Lassiter starts out extremely resentful of Sean because Lassiter is like, being a cop is my life. And he's always been a very, very kind of hard line by the book kind of cop. And to have Sean come in and be so ridiculous and so over the top and then so good just grates on Lassiter. And then we go to the series finale where Sean finally sends him a DVD confessing that he's not actually a psychic and Lassiter won't even finish watching it. Like Lassiter knows the entire time that Sean's a fraud. 
He knows the whole time. But when it comes time for Sean to actually confess and tell him, he closes his laptop and he won't hear it. And I just, that might be probably my favorite moment of the series finale, to be perfectly honest, because trust is so important to Lassiter and he's willing to just pretend something didn't happen so he can continue on with that and and not have to kind of compromise himself. As far as Lassie and Juliet, I love their relationship. I love this very platonic, no sexual tension between these two characters. Um, They're partners and they're extremely important to each other. I love when Lassie found out that Juliet was lying to him and he got really upset about it because they're partners. And regardless, yes, he's going to not love the fact that you're dating Sean, but he ha- that's something that he needs to know. And I think that's really important. And again, Timothy Amundsen, let me just fan myself for a second. <laughs> and I think what's so fun about Lassiter is he's such a hard line cop. Very much like by the book. And then he falls in love with a felon. And marries her. And, like, and that whole situation where they're trying to find a place to live and within the parole officer's parameters because the parole officer was someone he, Lassiter had hooked up with and didn't call. <laughs> She's resentful. I, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. And I just think it's so sweet that he is such a hardline cop, but he is also like, she paid her debt to society. I love her. He went and visit her, visit her in jail every week. And I just thought that was so sweet. Um, as far as Henry and Sean goes, I yes, you're cracking your knuckles and like, you know, no, taking I... off your earring. <laughs> <laughs> I I love this relationship in a lot of ways, and I think kind of what Carla maybe didn't see is ninety nine percent of the time watching Baby Sean. This is from Sean's perspective. This is how he is seeing what's going on with his dad, not necessarily the whole picture of it. And I can understand where Sean's resentment towards Henry is understandable in a lot of ways because Henry really did kind of put on him like, you're going to be a cop. You're going to be a great detective. You're going to follow in my footsteps and all of that stuff. And I think, but so much of Sean's resentment from his dad came from Sean thinking that Henry drove his wife away from work and I think their relationship really only starts to improve when Sean learns, nope, mom wanted to leave. And mom chose to leave. Henry didn't drive her away. She did not want, she didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Just to be clear, though, my issues with their relationship had more to do with the way that Henry constantly undermined Sean's ego. And the way that any accomplishment was never good enough for Henry. It was really not about the... the, Because I I did think that it was kind of silly of... It it was like this whole circle of why didn't you just tell your son? Why didn't you just understand that sometimes, you know, parents split up? But it really just comes down to, you know, there's nothing Sean can do to make his father proud. communicate well together, there would never be a TV show ever made if communication was done well. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. It's kind of the younger Sean stuff is very much from Sean's perspective. I think we have a couple where it's more from Henry's perspective, but they're all from Sean's perspective. And Sean for a lot of the show is really resentful of his dad. And that's understandable, but it's also, 
I don't know. I don't think Henry was, I know that Carl and I have talked about like comparing Henry and John Winchester. And I don't think they're really comparable in that, except for the fact they wanted their sons to follow in their footsteps. I don't think Henry was abusive in any way. I think he was harsh and no, Henry pushed was not pushed his and pushed his son. Yeah. He pushed his son really, really hard, but I don't necessarily see that as always being necessarily a bad thing. I understand where Carl is coming from with undermining his confidence. I don't always think that was the case. I think that Sean, sometimes when he was being outlandish or he cheated on something, or he says he wants a dog, but then he won't build, he won't go through and follow through with the work that it takes to actually do what he wants to do. And that's when Henry is like, you can't have a dog. You didn't build this dog house the right way. And it's because the dog house is literally just a cube and like three slats of wood somewhere on it. Now um, I wish I had written down examples. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I know, but there are times where I'm watching it. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Henry, just, just tell him he did a good job. Just tell him good job. <laughs> no, but I think that's a very unique, kind of especially if you're looking at the 1980s which is when all of this kind of took place that's a father-son relationship that may not be the most healthy as we're watching it now but it was very much kind of what relationships between fathers and sons were for better or for worse and watching their relationship grow I think is something that I really really enjoyed watching throughout the show and I also think Henry does deserve credit where he sees this bullshit that Sean is peddling about being a psychic and he will give Sean a hard time personally and tell him, why are you doing this? This is ridiculous. Why are you lying? But he always supports Sean when it comes to everybody else around him. He's always there to support Sean. He doesn't tell anybody that Sean's a fake. He doesn't, he doesn't, out him to anybody or anything like that and when he has a hard time figuring stuff out he actually calls sean in and i think that there's something to be said for that and now i am going to shut have have you done you haven't done this show yet on your on boobs have Mm -mm. you no i didn't think so No, but it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and and this is gonna be a very informative conversation (laughs) (laughs) i was just wondering everybody to this episode (laughs) Like, you know what? We're not rehashing this right now. Just have people go and listen to the. Into it's going to be. It's going to be a five-minute episode. <laughs> I was just wondering that because I was like, "Will those be the characters that you have to choose between?" I mean, or part of the characters? Oh, but... I I don't know if we can include Sean in anything. I have a lot of feelings about Sean. Um, <laughs> to be honest, he's we'll like we talk see. about favorite. We'll we talk see. about favorite characters. Sean's not on my list. But I love him. Like I love them all. But Sean is Sean gets what a, a lot. dramatic way to say that he's going to get beheaded. <laughs> Sean gets a lot of passes from everybody in his life, and takes advantage of a lot of people in his life. Like he's com- he's he's committing fraud this whole yeah, time. No, of course he gets the this his hetero uh, white boy pass. Of course, yeah, we get that. Yeah. So Tiff, what do you want to add in there? Do you have I any pushback? Yeah, I no, I literally have like 1.2 things left to say because everybody was so I'm sorry. <laughs> was so thorough, <laughs> thorough with their with their exposition <laughs> of the relationships of the characters. Um 
I, I do like, uh, I don't know, I don't think anybody mentioned the relationship between Juliet and Chief Vic, because I really, really like that uh, more seasoned um, police presence and who's mentoring the younger detective, because I think Juliet really looks up and really admires Chief Vic to the point where she followed her to San Francisco in the series finale. She she believed in what Chief Vic was peddling so much that she uprooted her life and and moved and was willing to, you know, obviously was willing to um, go long distance with Sean and 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 do that whole bit, which we all know is a, a difficult uh, undertaking. But I love seeing that between the two of them. Um, as I love seeing Juliet and Lassie, because how often do, does that very platonic relationship between partners happen? There's always in most popular, in most pop culture medium, there's always that undercurrent of that will they, won't they uh between between partners whether it's professional partners or like i don't know tennis pros <laughs> golf pros whatever um there's always that that very will they won't they kind of moment and with those two it is like we are brother and sister and never the twain shall meet this is not going to happen i you know i love him like a brother i love her like a sister and i'm going to be that person that um, mentors her in what I think is the proper way. That's how I think Lassie looks at it. And Juliet has her own thought process on how she's going to become a better detective, how she's going to really grow her career and uh, and be extremely effective at it. And at times they bump heads, but that's what siblings do. Siblings bump heads all the time. So I think that just um, reiterates how their relationship works and how it flows. I can't say anything more about Sean and Gus, because I think everybody has said that so well. Meg said Gus is ride or die as a BFF to Sean. And that's the best way I think you can you can describe Burton Guster is that he is a ride or die. He knows the ridiculousness of Sean. Uh, I think all of them know the ridiculousness of Sean. But Gus is like, okay, man, I'm here for the long haul. <laughs> if we're going to do this, we're going to do this to the fact where we have an office <laughs> that says psych. <laughs> I do think, what is um, it? Psych, psych Francisco? Psych yes, Francisco Psych Francisco. There. Exactly. Um, I do think that the love that they share, I don't think we touched on this, uh, the love that they have of food. <laughs> together is like the third level of their relationship um that's another running gag Aaron uh about how much (laughs) these two like to eat and because well didn't Sean have to stop Gus from eating food like off a dead guy because he's he's not gonna finish it he did he really did (laughs) so the the it's 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 really bananas how much they how much they like to eat and and what they like to eat you know a lot of it is like what we consider like toddler food like you know there's no there's no real nuance to these to their food choices so um Gus is there's that one episode where he's eating and he's crying while he's eating (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a very, it's like a very, um, it, uh, people use it a lot as a gift. I know I've used it like multiple times because it's fantastic. Uh, who else? Uh, okay. Henry and Sean. So Henry is, and, and Marty touched on this so well about how, um, how Lassiter was informed his personality is is informed by the women in his life and i think you can also look at that with henry as well because he was truly truly i think devastated by sean's mom leaving him and it shook his confidence it it shook him that he was now a single father uh and having to raise this extremely rambunctious little boy because sean as a kid is as rambunctious as Sean as an adult. He just, his rambunctiousness like increased incrementally as he got older. His, Henry's idea of parenting, I don't think is the, is the standard that you want to use. It's not because as Carla said, he does chip away at Sean's confidence a lot. But as Marty and Meg said, it also is very, very common to father-son relationships in the 80s. It's, um, if you look at any, I mean, I can think of maybe a couple of shows that didn't reflect that, but a lot of shows in the 70s and the 80s were not showing fathers and sons with a very symbiotic flow. There was always like the dad, I'm going to toughen him up. I'm going to make him a man. That sort of thing is very machismo, you know? Yeah. Well, that's kind of a thing where fathers and sons, from my observation, at least, it's like fathers are really hard on their sons and then their sons become adults and then it becomes a much more equal relationship. And I feel like that's a lot of the way with parents and their children. But if we're right. especially we're looking at fathers and sons in the 80s and the 90s, that's really much more common than what we're seeing today, where fathers are taking more of an active emotional role in their sons. Like in the 80s and 90s, fathers were like, we are going to prepare our children for the realities and the harsh realities of life. You are going to learn how to change a tire and you are going to learn everything about an engine and you are going to learn how to like gut a deer or whatever, because Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm in Wisconsin. Um, And there was much less of kind of the emotional aspects of life. And I feel like the real common thread of fathers and sons is when sons become fathers themselves. And that's kind of what pulls that together. And we, we never, we haven't seen that with Henry and Sean. Except when, when Henry thought Sean was going to have a baby and he got very emotional and like (laughs) full grandpa mode. And he did go full grandpa. He went the full, he went the full grandfather mode right there. Like full weepy old man mode. It was, it it was adorable. It was really sweet. It was really sweet. And I can see, I can definitely see that. And I see the, the evolution of, of Sean potentially becoming a father um, I could see him being the air quotes fun dad. Uh, he's gonna be the one that like gives the kid corn dogs all weekend. Let's the kid. We'll be in trouble right next to We're the going kid. to the amusement park. <laughs> We're not letting you know how you don't have to do your homework. It's cool. Mom is the mean parent. Dad is the fun parent. I can set, totally see Sean being that style, and that's trying to get away from the very serious parent. That and very hard parent that Henry was, 
um, because he took a hard line with Sean. And I know he needed a bit of reining in, but like Carla said, he just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away consistently and actively. Even when Sean did something like, let's say he was 75% right with something, Henry still found something. He found that 25% wrong. So instead of building him up, he he didn't he always kind of like dumped cold water on his head um so that theirs is an interesting relationship especially when they got to be adults because you know remember for that first that first season sean didn't want to have anything to do with henry he was i mean Mm -hmm. he was very adamant that they did not have a relationship that needed to be cultivated at that point in time and it lessened and lessened and lessened to the fact where henry in those later seasons when he was consulting for the SBPD, he obviously knows that Sean is a fake, but he's he's such a, a good dad, I guess, that he doesn't say anything about it. And he's calling in and he's consulting with Sean about different things as well. So I guess you can look at that as yay growth. Well, and I think I think when Henry was hired on as like the consultant coordinator or whatever for the SBPD, I think that was a big dynamic shift in the relationship when Henry was in charge of whether or not Sean would get hired. That was hilarious. That was hilarious because, you know, Sean was thinking, "Okay, dude, I know you're not going to hire me. Well, I think Sean felt like he was going to get an easy in because Henry knows he's not a psychic, but also knows how good he is. And then for a while when Henry wouldn't hire him for anything. Yeah, because I mean, that's how Sean and I guess to an extent, Gus, that's how they make their money. They make their money by their fees from SBPD. They're no, <laughs> Gus pays all the bills. Gus pays all the bills for everything else. But... With his pharmaceutical rep job. That he never does. <laughs> that he does like 20% tip, of the time. Tip to listeners, become a pharmaceutical rep. You never have to work. Oh, I, I love that. I think that's at what the, I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to the end of the series. My pharmaceutical <laughs> rep degree. It, I, Meg, you, I think, mentioned the episode, the office space episode, where Gus is like, you know, yeah, man, something happened at work. And then everybody, everybody's like, you still work there? I can't believe you still work there. <laughs> and how everybody was in on that joke was just perfect. <laughs> yeah. The show has so many callbacks and so much. Um, it just has, it, it pokes fun at itself. It doesn't take itself so seriously. And that's what I really love about it. Because even a certain, you know, certain like really serious comedies, the ones that are like prestige shows, they are, they think they're too full of themselves to actually do that. But Psych is like, hey, we're going to give you the, we're going to, we're going to make, let you know that we're making fun of ourselves and you're going to love it. Which we do. do it so well too. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much. And I just want to talk about you. Everyone's already kind of touched on the finale a little bit, and it sounds like it was a really good finale. So I just want to talk about that, Carla, your overall um, thoughts on the finale and everything. The finale, like like Tiff said earlier, it's one of the, the finales that really gets it right. It really wraps up so many things in this one hilarious, but still very sentimental episode and you even get the the classic Burton Guster yelling through the woods as he's running away from a cadaver, it, which is just oh, absolutely beautiful and perfect. He, you know, he's 
Um, Sean's letting him have the glory as they, you know, un, uh, as they dig up supposed treasure and it ends up being a cadaver. And <laughs> Gus is playing with the hand thinking that he's, you know, coming up with gold or something. And then he just, just takes off screaming and they're shouting back and forth to each other, even as Gus is disappearing into the horizon. And it's beautiful. Um, it starts out with Sean talking to Juliet long distance. So she, she's in San Francisco. He's still in Santa Barbara. And then he decides, I can't keep doing this. And she thinks that they're breaking up. And by the way, the episode is called The Breakup. So, you know, you're thinking, oh, he's going to break up with Juliet. Oh, no. But he's actually going to, he's trying to break up with Gus. And the whole episode is him trying to break up with Gus and trying to tell him, I'm moving to San Francisco we won't be together anymore. You're still my best friend. I love you so much. So he ends up leaving him this DVD with all of his feelings, but he can't face him. And it, then it turns out though, that he leaves DVDs for everybody, which is funny because he, the one that Meg, the Meg mentioned for, for Lassiter, which was, you know, which Lassiter was like, Nope, not doing that. And, and, and breaks it. And it's like, you know, I'm happy with who this guy is no matter what, but he also leaves one for total rando that he never actually spoke to in his eight years working for the police department, um, who, you know, the guy swivels around in his chair and is Val Kilmer, which um, Sean and Gus talk about Val Kilmer so much. And it's just so funny that, you know, that they get this guy for this hilarious little cameo. But the, the whole episode really is a tribute to that friendship because yeah, um, Sean ends up proposing to Juliet at the end, but the proposal includes Gus, you know, kind of like, do you take us? I mean, mostly me, but also Gus. <laughs> and the thing that I thought was great and that ended up working out so naturally where it doesn't feel like either one of them is giving up anything for each other, really, is where Gus decides to leave Santa Barbara as well and move up to San Francisco to be close to his best friend because that that really is Gus's biggest most important relationship and it is also for for Sean Sean has always been a part of his life and he um as much as he is finally at a job that respects him and that you know treats him like a king basically where they have multiple multiple flavored cereals and flax seeds for the taking he still comes to realize that, okay, that's great. But what I really love is spending time with my best friend, solving crimes and being adventurous and, you know, and all of these things that he can only really see himself doing with Sean. And, you know, especially f that it follows the nightmare on state street episode where, where Gus's biggest fear is Sean leaving him behind. And that, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, Oh, and also because, you know, living on, on the West Coast, pharmaceutical sales is like one of the biggest jobs, particularly in, in that time period. So it's not like um, Gus was going to be short for, for job prospects. Doesn't he get a job at a pharmaceutical company like, in San right Francisco? Away. Yeah, I think they said like 17 <laughs> like days still, after. Well, working another job. Yeah, so it's like not even that big of a deal for him, but but he can move like that because he doesn't have a girlfriend, a wife, kids, you know, his parents are there, but 
their relationship is a little bit strained because they don't take him seriously because he's in pharma sales. But anyway, um, so the episode is just really sweet. And if, um, especially like, I feel like it really broke my heart thinking about it when it was uh, the, the ending of the show, when it was first going on. But then on a binge, it just wraps everything up so nicely that it hurts less. It's like they put so much thought into into the fans' feelings. It would have made sense to split up Sean and Gus because, you know, it's, it's a natural conclusion. It feels like this is, um, like, with finales, it's where they choose to have characters go off and seek their own path. And in this instance, they didn't. And I think that that was, like, a really bold and smart choice because it doesn't feel like your heart's being ripped out in a million pieces because the this vital component, which is that friendship, remains and you know nobody really ends up feeling hurt nobody feels left out everybody is happy in their own way and it it just you know even I I think if you're a new fan going into this or a new perspective fan who's going to love the show Aaron um, (laughs) and you know that there are two movies after the the finale you st- this still feels like a good ending. It, it really feels like if they had never done the, the two movies, you would have been perfectly happy with the way that this went down. And you mentioned that Val Kilmer is in there. And I have to say, Val Kilmer was like my number one for so long. I mean, we so, so long. Yeah. <laughs> no. We found Aaron's Horcrux. All, all you had to say, you, I mean... If, imagine if you had added in like George Clooney <laughs> or even Christian Bale. <laughs> been like, oh, Christian Bale's in the podcast about it. <laughs> see, see, you hit, you hit suddenly you're sold on it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and Marty, your thoughts. Well, I think a lot of times you look at finales kind of from a home runner strikeout perspective. Like this is, you know, the, the bow on the package. This is what has to wrap it all up. And it's either, it either works or it doesn't. And I think there's no doubt about it that this absolutely works. And I think for me, what I usually kind of use as that measuring stick is, you know, when I'm binging through something, am I, am I sad when I see, the next thing on Netflix or Amazon or whatever it is, is a preview for some other show rather than the next episode. And you get to the end and you're like, well, I, I guess we're done. And there is that heartbreak. And like Carla was saying, you go back and you watch it again and there is still a little twinge of pain, but it's a very kind of like full heart happiness that you experience the second or third or fifth or sixth time (laughs) that you watch it. And I think what's really, really cool and kind of a testament to the creators is that when you look at the movies that come after the finale, the movies don't degrade the finale. They, they say, Hey, this was how that story ended. This is just more shenanigans and hijinks. Like we heard you guys were asking and if you're willing to get us the money to make it, we will absolutely make it. And we're just going to go have some silly, silly fun 
with these characters that you know and love. We're not going to undo anything. We're not going to retell anything. We're going to leave everything more or less how it was. And I think the way that they handled Tim O and his stroke was borderline more heartwarming than the finale itself. Just how like he, he was non-negotiable part of this family and they found a way to get him in even like immediately after his stroke. And then they really, the whole second movie is basically Timo recovering from a stroke in real life and how his personification of Lassiter handled that. And it, that was another like real heartwarming, touching thing. Like, oh, fuck, give me the tissues, you know, at the very end where he's, I'm nope, not going to spoil it. But at that very, that final scene where he actually gets to follow through on his promise that he made to his wife. And, you know, I, I think you, you look at a series and a production and all of your, these characters is kind of, you know, favorite loved toys that you love to revisit and they're not sullied or lessened by everything that happens after the finale. They're fleshed out more. You learn more about them. You get even more wonderful experiences with them that don't take away from anything up front. And I, I guess the one thing I will say about the movies that I absolutely loved is Gus finally standing up just a little bit to Sean and negotiating right of first refusal when it comes to nicknames. Because <laughs> he's sick of catching all of these oh like, weird, silly things. And he's like, no, nope, man. He's like, I get to at least say yes or no to the first one. And Sean's like, yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, the, the finale was fantastic. It, it puts a beautiful bow on everything. And I, I do like kind of how Carla said there was that, that double entendre in the breakup. You know, it's you're, you're thinking, is it going to be a breakup between Sean and Juliet? But really it's trying to be a breakup between Sean and Gus and kudos to the creators for sticking to their guns and saying, no, that would, that would not flow with either of these characters. These two lean on each other way too much in a lot of ways they're unhealthy, but in a lot of ways that are just straight up beautiful from a friendship standpoint. And yeah, for me, this is, this is one of the best finales. I think you look at parks and rec. I think you look at the good place as another just absolutely mm -hmm. fantastic finale. And I think this one, even though it's probably not as heralded, kind of across the the TV verse as the others. But in my opinion, it, it stands right there with them. Meg. Yeah. I mean, Carla and Marty really kind of said most of all I wanted to say about it. I think it was a brilliant finale. I think finales in beloved shows, finales either make you want to immediately start rewatching the series or they make you never want to watch the show ever again. I have a few shows in both categories. <laughs> um, and, and Psych really kind of falls into that because the ending doesn't actually feel like an ending. It feels like a new beginning. 
And that's what's kind of amazing. And I think part of that, part of that for me at least, is I came into the show later. I came into the show knowing that there was going to be a movie being made. And so that kind of, that always helps kind of with endings because you know it's not really the quote unquote end. But I think the finale just did a really great job of wrapping up the storyline. And I, and the mass exodus to San Francisco could have been really sad and heartbreaking for Lassie had he not been in the place where he was in his life with a wife and a new baby and his dream job and really feeling good about where he was because he couldn't give Juliet what Juliet needed to leave because of outside forces. Otherwise, Juliet never would have left. Sean would have stayed there. Sean never would have had the impetus to grow that he really, really needed. He needed Juliet to leave to grow up. Um, I love the movie's continuation on the finale with the storyline about the ring getting getting stolen. <laughs> Chief Vic, <laughs> no. I'm the maid of honor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, Sean proposes to Juliet, and he's in the middle of proposing, and someone comes and steals the ring. And the whole movie, the whole next movie pretty much is about, kind of about finding that ring for Sean. This is personal story. Um, I think it's a testament to the cast and the crew and everyone involved with how they handled Timothy Amundsen's like massive stroke, like nearly life ending stroke. He's Timothy Amundsen is still recovering from it today. Um, and I think the fact that they took so much of that in consideration, they rewrote the entire first movie script basically to give him something and, but be able to write it without like shunting him aside. And then the second script was all about, like Marty said, basically it's Timo recovering from a stroke and it's, it's something beautiful to see. There's something very special about knowing that a cast who have been together for a long time, really love and care about each other. And I just, I love that. I felt like it was very realistic that Sean would grow up and want to go follow Juliet and he's going to spread his wings. And I think it was most important that Sean spread his wings and then Gus be like, wait a minute, let me come too," because Gus has always had his shit more together than Sean. <laughs> like just in general, Gus has always had his shit together. Sean's always been a mess. Gus has a 401k. Gus is vested in his company's whole stuff. Sean is basically just eating cereal to live and Gus is there to take care of him. So I love the fact that Sean was grown up enough to be like, this is a big choice and this is something that I'm going to do for myself. And it's the adult thing to do. And then Gus is like, well, I'm going to come too." I thought it was beautiful. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I loved where it left everybody. And I think it helped a lot too, though, knowing that there was a movie coming right after, but I still would have been happy had that been the end. Unlike some shows, I won't name. There are like uh, so many shows I could name. <laughs> I have like two immediately off the top of my head. I have like that, five. That, well, I meant I like I have, I have. I have lots of shows where the finale was terrible and I didn't like the finale. There are two shows that I come immediately to mind where the finale was so bad. It's made it hard for me to ever watch the show again. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so. G-O-T like, and? 
I've I'd never watched the finale of Game of Thrones because I heard everybody else talk about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm fine being two seasons behind. Things were great where I left them. Well, I'm just I, I want to know what the two shows are. I'm just curious. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. The finale. I I've honestly I've I yep. loved that it show. Everything. I loved that show so much. And there are maybe two episodes I can still watch because of the finale. The finale just ruined everything. It ruined everything. All the development, all of the story before it was destroyed by the finale. And much like that, Supernatural's finale has nearly destroyed the entire series for me in a lot of ways because all of the care, everything, the finale made it feel like everything that happened prior to that finale was meaningless. Yeah. Um, but I all that wanna... to say, psych is not how I feel, and I and I really want to let Tiff talk because I'm an asshole. Okay, so Tiff, what are your thoughts on the finale? I'll keep it super brief. The finale was outstanding. Um, like Meg said, even knowing that we were going to eventually get um, the first film that we got, and then them that being so popular that we got the second film, Lassie Come Home, uh, as well, it didn't detract from how great that series finale was it was the icing on the cake it was the culmination of of eight seasons of greatness and it's one of those things where yes as marty said as meg said as carla said i will go back and i will rewatch psych i'll watch it anytime it comes on usa if they do reruns i'll watch through the through the commercials and I hate commercials but, so but I'll watch <laughs> I'll watch it through it I it hurts when you have a show that you've loved for so long and you're investing in it and then it just literally poops all over that love and that's I mean for me that's Game of Thrones I have made a I have not it's been two years since that series finale and I have not watched one single episode from before. And I was one of the biggest game of throne nerds out there. I, I mean, for, I, I love that show for six seasons, season seven. I was like, eh. and season eight was just, there was no point. There was literally no point to that, to that season. It just didn't make any sense. Psych is not like that at all. Psych is not like that. I laughed and I giggled for, for eight seasons and the series finale gave me more laughs and giggles and all kind of moments. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just one of those things where I, I will always be able to rewatch it uh, in terms of, of series finales. My probably top three would be in no particular order would be psych would be Buffy and then would also be parks and rec. Uh, so same, Marty. <laughs> Six Feet Under also had an amazing series finale. Oh, theirs was really good. You know, I'm an, I'm the odd person out with Six Feet Under because I actually I love Six Feet Under and I actually hated the Six Feet Under finale. Shh. Go away, Aaron. I know I'm like the only person in the world. I haven't rewatched it because I I just I didn't I don't know there was something about it that I didn't. It made you sense. You Meg so much that she's kicking you off her own podcast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> This, this is a boob cast now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, 
No, I know, I know. I'm the odd person out there. We are going to cover Six Feet Under at, at some point. Oh, Aaron, can I mention yes. one more? Yeah, Sorry of course. About yeah. That. No, no, go ahead. You No, go for it. The, the series finales that you didn't know were series finales, but that were still great. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Angel was a fantastic, and I don't think anybody on the panel. I what, never, what, Carla, I never finished. I only, yeah, I only watched parts of the beginning and then the last season because of Spike, and that was a fantastic final episode right? and, final, right. and final closing moment. It was perfect. Yeah. I never there got there because be, once there Cordelia be... started banging Angel's kid, I... I oh, no. No, we don't talk about that. I, I know doubt that. that was it. I'll just say on top of Tiff's point, like, you know, Psych is, is such a good show that you love to watch over and over again. This is one of the shows that I am the most excited to introduce my kids to. Like mm. they know the theme song, every single word of it. Sammy, when she was a little tiny kid, she used to call it the, I know, you I know, know, you show. know, Aww. and, and, and <laughs> Taylor's so really getting into more mature adult sitcoms. And I, I cannot wait to bring her into the, well, I've started letting, I've let, I've let my son watch a couple of scenes that were, you know, child friendly. So he was in here earlier. He was asking me, mommy, did you tell them about about this thing that happened that he loves? He, 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 He wanted me to, he wanted to me to make sure that I mentioned when they're in the museum and Sean's, um, yes. you know, oh trying to be not visible in the cameras. And, and when um, Gus says, leave the lady alone, Sean, because my, my son like imitates Dulé Hill perfectly the, like I do Christian Bale. The running gag <laughs> of Gus not getting properly credited in the museum in Santa Barbara is adorable and I love it. Um, and one of the other things that I really do love about this show, and it might sound like a con when I say it, but it's definitely not, is you can pop in and just randomly watch an episode of this show and enjoy one episode without having to see a big over... It's not a super serial. Not in a way... Not in the South Park way of saying super serial. It's not... <laughs> <laughs> it's not an extremely serial kind of show you don't have to watch every episode of the show to understand what's happening in every subsequent episode um there are certain storylines when we talk we talked about the yin yang storyline and there are overarching themes and storylines that go along with it which i think are great but you can pop in and you can watch like a random season three episode four of the show and just kind of enjoy that show for the most part it's a case-by-case show and you get enough feel of the characters and who they are and their relationships to each other in individual episodes that you don't have to watch everything. So it's a lot, there's a lot of, it's a, it's a low pressure kind of show in that way. Like if you see it on USA, you can, for the most part, like 90% of the time pop in, watch that episode and, and just enjoy 45 minutes of, funny detective television. Well, I know after this conversation, I'll definitely have to check it out because it sounds like it has a lot of things, especially for me that (laughs) I love how the panel is all celebrating. (laughs) It's so good. Well, I definitely will have to check it out. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up there. So I'm going to have everybody close out and tell me where you can be found and what you want to promote. Carla. 
I can be found along with Meg at our podcast, Bedwetter Behead, which you can find on any podcast service that hosts decent podcasts that you actually enjoy. And also on our Twitter page, primarily at BedWetBeheadPod. We also have an Instagram, bed.wet.behead.pod. And you can find us on Facebook. Just look for Facebook. Facebook. Just look for BedWetOrBeheadPod. And we will be happy to virtually feel your eyes on us. You can find us on Podchaser too now. (gasps) Yes, Podchaser. That's right. We're now on Podchaser as well. And then your art. Just quickly say your podcast. Oh, yes. Um, you can find my photography at carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S.com. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And Marty? Well, when I'm not editing the boobs uh, <laughs> and randomly, I've started now to just <laughs> randomly interject into some of the episodes, like uh, husband slash editor slash producer speaking. And that's always fun. But I can be found <laughs> at Marty Podcasts on Twitter and at MartyPodcasts.com. So if you need help podcasting let me know i'm happy to help awesome and meg uh you can find my personal twitter at uh wisconsin which is w-i-s-c-o-n-s-e-n-n-a-c-h and that name is entirely carlos fault um other than that i have nothing and tiff you can primarily find me on the Twitters at who is Tiff is me. That again is at who is Tiff is me. And I also write for the game of nerds and that's the game of nerds across all platforms, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, Snapchat, all the things. And they're always looking for writers. So give us a shout. Awesome. Thank you so much. And you can follow me on Twitter. This is Erin, obviously, but you can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you would like to be a potential interview guest, please reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, which we've already recorded, and it was a great conversation because I've said before that I watch This Is Us, but I hate 90% of the characters on the show, Um, which Tim O was actually on that show, by the way, everybody. If you didn't know that, he made an appearance on there. As a stroke survivor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Working in rehab. I'm sorry. I just love Tim O'Listen so much. I have to always inject about (laughs) my love for him. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. But it's okay. But that, but it was just Judy and I discussing the show. And I ended up actually realizing that I liked that show a lot more than I thought I did. And I ended up appreciating the characters a lot more. But it is a really good conversation. So that's our next episode on Friday. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter and stop Asian hate. Christian Bale, the babysitter, has come and relieved me. <laughs> he just popped in and he said, Oh, I'll take the child with me. Small child, would you like to go and watch some television? We can watch some television. Some circus performance, perhaps. I cannot show you any of my films, unfortunately, as most of them involve murder of some kind. In Paris, Christian Poppin Bales Van Dyke. (laughs) I regret regret my, my joke immediately. Yes, I don't know why you did that, knowing where it would go. I don't regret it.
Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. <laughs>